Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, just to start out, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, how long you've been part of the community here at Otter Creek, and any relevant information you think. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll go first. My okay. name's uh, Jeannie Cagle. We've been here 11 years, and um, let's see, probably the thrill of my life is eight grandchildren and all the joy it brings when you're not in charge of how they turn oh, yeah. out. <laughs> Kids are wonderful when you don't care how they turn no, out. I'm Rhonda Lowry and I have nine grandchildren. Oh, one up. Mm -hmm. She wins. <laughs> but, um, and they are delightful. But um, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm awesome. Yeah, I'm John Lee, and um, first a moment of uh, confession, I guess, because transparency and uh, authenticity, I guess, are important, mm -hmm. uh, and nowhere more so than the church. But when I got Jacob's email asking if I could uh, you know, be a part of this class, I literally responded to him and said, I'm not sure I'm the best person to talk about that after my past couple of years, because I've really not done a good job at all of cultivating fruits of the spirit the last couple of years and it's been pretty obvious to mm -hmm. those that know me well um and life has been incredibly stressful and difficult um but i thought man i should probably be listening and not speaking right now on this and then i saw that Jeannie and Rhonda would be the other two and i went well now i'm really sure that you thought i can do that's what i was um, so um but uh John, yeah. humbleness is not one of the fruits. <laughs> well, and trust me, it's not false humility. But the irony is that, um, you know, and I don't want to give myself grace, but the irony is that, um, you know, I've, one thing I've learned, again, uh, sometimes it takes many times learning lessons, but, you know, the disciplines in Scripture are challenging, and they're not, quote, easy, but the really hard part is when you neglect them. Hmm. Then life gets really hard. And so it's been a couple of rough, rough years because I've let my guard down spiritually and not cultivate a lot of these fruits. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, so thinking about and preparing for some of this, some of these questions has been helpful, sort of, in my journey back to um, to get back on track. Um, so life, life's pretty miserable when you when you neglect these. Um, but I've been at Otter Creek for 23 years um, and uh, have been really involved um, with the Living Water Project ministry since 2001 um, to, to bring clean water uh, to parts of the world that lack it and also have become involved with um, his daughter, Ruslan Asana, mm -hmm. um, which does um, ministers to um, adoptive and foster care families and children in mm -hmm. Russia. So just a couple of my passions there but um yeah anyway thank you yeah I, I will say your response to my email was not rare <laughs> probably about 50 percent of the people who responded was what meet patience <laughs> kindness what? but i think um you know it's easier to see in others than to see in yourself a lot of times and so um I, um eric did a lot of the recommendations so um, if you're like, why am I on this? You can just ask Eric. <laughs> be like, explain yourself. 
so, so our first kind of icebreaker question is what is the best fruit you have ever had? So for example, in 2000, y'all are going to get tired of this story. I can already tell. It's okay. And let's see, this would have been 2012. I was on a mission trip in Jamaica and it was in June. It was peak mango season. And uh, the minister of the church there, he you know, literally just cut off the tree, you know, just super fresh, had a box of them, brought them to us. And I have been chasing that high for the past 10 years. <laughs> so I've never had a fruit or mango that was just that perfect. So do y'all have any stories that come to mind? Okay, so you're talking about real fruit. Real fruit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, being from California... And being married to someone that grew up in the naval orange capital world, mm. I have to say oranges. Yeah. Because, I mean, a good orange is just really good. So that's... Mm-hmm. And again, when you take it off the tree and you eat it. But, and then we lived in Oregon, and peaches are kind of the same. Mm. It's good. Peaches are my thing. Peaches. So on vacation, we always stop at Peach Park on our way to the beach. Mm-hmm. And you get a big old thing oh, of them, yeah. and just, they're awesome. Eat them all mm-hmm. week. Well, when I saw Jacob's comment about a mango in a foreign country, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I reminded me that, no question, um, I was in the middle of the Republic of Niger, North okay. Africa. We were, not, we were only a couple hours from the, the Sahara Desert. And... Um, terrible rocky rock rocky jagged roads uh in the middle of nowhere our vehicle had a flat tire they replaced it with the spare and then we had another flat tire it was <laughs> it was the hottest month of the year and it was about 115 degrees Jerry, jerry atnip ended up having a, a heat stroke the next day which was scary but while we waited for hours for somebody from the nearest town to bring us a tire there was this mango tree totally out of place and we sat in the shade of that mango tree and ate these huge incredible <laughs> mangoes which was just life-giving so wow. I, just, yeah, I saw that and I went man that, that's hard to top so. yeah that is hard to top next we're going to watch a short video from the bible project about um, yeah, it might be easier for I was going to say yeah um, like short like <laughs> It's like five minutes. Five minutes. Bible Project Agape. Yes. You've heard of Jesus. <laughs> All right. So, if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom, and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, 
cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rahmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them expecting nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like, love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Well said.
So let's kind of start our real questions um, in Scripture. And so what are some stories, some teachings, some passages about love that really resonate with you and that really kind of shape the way you might understand love today? You're not ready. <laughs> um, well, I, I, a story... Um, I thought of, and I know they don't necessarily mean a book or movie or story, but I thought about um, Les Miserables, Jean Valjean, that here's a guy who's uh, um, escaped prison, and uh, the priest takes him in and uh, knows there's a risk in taking him to his home for the night, loves him, feeds him, and then Valjean gets up in the middle of the night, steals the silver, Mm -hmm. hits the priest over the head with a candlestick, maybe? And then the police bring him back and say, you know, we think he stole it from you. And the priest says, no, no, I gave it to him. You know, and why didn't you take these extra things too? And the stunned look on his face, at least in the movie, um, is, you know, a man who's changed forever. um, Because he was given love and grace and mercy he did not uh, in any way deserve. And then the rest of the story, he cannot hate his fellow man. it acts in love and grace, and it's incredibly convicting. And a verse I've had is Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Uh, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And it was pointed out to me um, years ago that just how literal this is, that when you're dead, you can do absolutely nothing. You're completely powerless over your own sin and saving yourself. And so... Um, that demonstrated to me very vividly the extent of God's love mm-hmm. to say this while it's not that we can do some of it, it's that we're completely dead and powerless to do anything. Yeah. It seems to me that, and I know I'm not going to say anything you haven't heard, but um, we've got to get it straight first is that. In Galatians, this is not different fruits. And these aren't our fruits. These, this is fruit of the Spirit. And this is, this is things that... These are evidences of the Spirit living in you. So it's, it's not like we can separate out and say... Um, if we just learn how to love, then we'll be pleasing God. No. It's the other way around. You know, we love God, then we will have love. And and I think that took me back when I started thinking about it, all the way to creation and how we create. Because the essence of God is love. Mm-hmm. Um, God is love. And and God created us. And so, what does that look like? And you go back to the to the creation story and in Genesis 1 26 and 28 um, he said let us create humankind in our image in the image of God he created them well, what is the image of God I think if you read the story of scripture the image of God is love 
when God is love, that's mm-hmm. what the scripture tells us, right? But the way that has portrayed itself, if you look at the plural pronouns in Genesis there, of let us, and what that tells me is love existed before God chose to present himself to us. That there was love going on in the Trinity, and God was living in relationship, which if you're going to have relationship, you've got to have love. That, that love was there before we were ever thought of, basically. Mm-hmm. Let us create humankind in our image. In the image of God, he created them. So again, he created us out of relationship into relationship, which is in the essence of love. He created them. There's another plural mm-hmm. pronoun. So we were not created to live without love. We were created into love, which is the essence of relationship. And and so I I'm not sure that that we can be without it <laughs> in a lot of ways. I think that's that's who we are as human beings in in the very essence of of the depth of who we are. Now, can we hide it pretty well? Yeah, we sure can. But but I think it really is what it means to be a human being. It's a love deeply. And is I mean the difference between human beings and animals is that we have the image of God in us. Which means we have love in us. So I can go further with that, but I'm gonna stop. But I I my first thought, you know, my first thought was first to go first John four. I mean, of course, that's and then first Corinthians thirteen. You know, but but when you dig down and you think about it for a while, you you kind of got to go to the original source of what it means to be a human being and how we reflect God, and I think that's love. Um, I think the three of us, we're glad you didn't put us on the patience panel, but giving us the love is like the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, There's so much. Yes. Uh, and I think you're right when you realize love is a manifestation of the Spirit working in our life. So the focus is on the Spirit, not on really if I concentrate hard love will come. Um, I think, do what you just said, the more that I... Just me, by myself, believe that God the Father loves, loves, loves me, the more I am able to turn around and love somebody else. We often say, hurt people hurt people, but loved people love people. So the more I listen to the Spirit and I remove the things, and you know, Scripture tells us over and over, most often I think it's our sense of other people and what they think about us, or if I'm performing right, those are the things that cloud me from believing God loves me just like I am. Now, when things happen, He may convict me and say, mm-hmm. you know, that's not in your best interest. But deep down, I, the more and the deeper my belief of His absolute, unbelievably crazy, out-of-bounds love for me... Uh, the more it empowers me for these things to come out. And I'm not distracted 
by what other people think or if I did it right. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's a whole difference in its relationship. It's all very relational. Um, so that's yeah. the way I see this. I love that line, loved people, love people. Love people, people yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good segue into our next question is fruit multiply, right? They're mm-hmm. seeds. It's not just something that, oh, we think of as this nice treat you eat. But really the purpose of a fruit is to grow another tree. And so in that same way, the fruits of the Spirit spread. They're contagious. Um, so what, what are ways that others have shown you love in your life that have then challenged you, influenced you, um, encouraged you to show love to others or to change the way you understood love? Is this six or five? <laughs> this is six, but, okay. you know. <laughs> we come back to five or do you, if you want, if you want to answer five, we can do five. If um, you have something. Well, I did. I mean, if, um, I, I we did. did what is five? He likes his answer to five better than yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. You do you, John. So yeah, I was, I sent um, the I sent the questions in a Google Doc, but uh-huh. y'all might not have gotten them, okay. so okay. I apologize. So well, as his five said, as we know from last week, fruit trees take a long time to grow. You are planting the future. Are there stories from your past of people in your family or community planting love for future generations? Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't help but think of Shannon Dickerson, who only lived 28 years, um, but those of us who were close to him knew him well. He challenged all of us to, he said, man, we're going to claim to follow Jesus. We can't be halfway about it. He yeah. actually didn't say halfway, he said have something else. <laughs> <laughs> but the, he wanted to drive the point home, yeah. and, uh, and he did. And um, he started the Living Water Project. Mm-hmm. But some may think, well, he kind of, you know, he realized he was dying and he wanted to leave a legacy, and that's great. But he had actually already given up his comfortable, well-to-do life here in the States and gone overseas before he was sick. And um, then he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and came back, and then he shifted to start living water. And I, can, I would imagine that I may have never, maybe never, never even occurred to me about something like clean water, uh, if not for Shannon. But mm-hmm. talk about a legacy for a short life. Um, uh, around 400,000 people are not drinking clean water. Wow. Um, from Living Water Project Wells, um, something that he started with just two wells. And then his parents and Mayfair Fair Church of Christ um, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, started Shannon's House of Compassion in Huntsville, um, where families that had a loved one going through um, a serious medical condition and spent a hell of a lot of the house. And so I just think like that illustrates to me the power of one committed, yeah. passionate life full of love. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, I didn't want to mention that. No, for sure. That's, and thank you for an incredible impact for generations. Yeah, that's, that's a fruitful tree, for sure, that has impacted thousands. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, y'all, y'all can answer either questions, mm-hmm. just stories of love in your past. Um, you know, when, when you were talking, I thought, and kind of conversely, for me, it's been all the little conversations my entire life of being in community, and we forget how much we all need each other. It's kind of like Jesus with skin on. I might read this, or I might wonder if that prompting came from the Spirit, but if Rhonda and I are having a conversation, she she can love on me in a hard time, or she can give me a word of encouragement, or allow me to share in her life all of that. 
to me is love that goes below the surface of, hey, how are you, that I might be doing with people I don't know mm-hmm. well. Uh, as long as we're all pointing each other toward Jesus, that relationship is just little feedings along the way. I think the church was a genius idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think bars are a genius idea because I think it's the best counterfeit church we have right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, they're always glad you came. They always know yeah. your name, you know, kind of thing. You know, I think it's, it's pretty genuine and authentic. Um, I mean, there's so many stories. I mean, how do you start and how do you pick one? You know, how many people are just been. I'm old, so I have a lot of stories. You know? <laughs> um, but I, I think it's interesting to stop and think about um, what's going on in the world today in relationships. Um, my niece brought her brand new baby over last night. And um, my niece, my brother's daughter, he died six months after Randy and I came to lunch for 16 years ago. He died of ALS. And I was his primary caregiver for five years. I had to feed him four times a day. And, and I basically raised the girls every other week while we were in California. The last six months of her, of her dad's life, she was in California, and he was here. Um, and so to have her bring this baby over last night, again, and thinking about today, and this what I was preparing, um, you can't look at a baby and not love it. You know? I mean, you just, again, I think it's just who we are. We just naturally love. And I... Um, and yet I'm keenly aware in our world today of the friendships. When I graduated from high school in 1972, the average number of deep friendships a person had was 3.2. Today, it's 1.8. Mm. And those of us in this room have already said, you know, we've got too many stories to start telling stories about people that love us. So if the average people <coughs> in the world have 1.8, how many people in the world have no friendships? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I can't help but wonder what's going on and what Satan is doing in a pandemic world mm-hmm. by cutting off communication, by putting us in silos by technology, dare I say. But I, I think it's a, a real threat um, to relationship. And I, um, you know, I look back on the kinds of things that I would think of when somebody said, who loved you? I mean, I got the call to go to seminary, and Jeannie's heard this story, but, um, I, I was discerning whether or not this was a call, and I was really testing it out. And um, I talked to Randy about it, and you know, he said, oh, you know, I don't care if you're going back to school, but you can, first of all, you can't go on Monday night, which was the advertisement I had received. And and he says, and not only that, but he, the church is not ready for you to go to seminary. <laughs> get that. Said, go, go get an MBA or go do something, you know. And, I just couldn't give it up. So I called an elder and we sat and 
Delian talked, and his wife was from Maine. She was painfully introverted. And we walked out of the deli after Bill and I having this conversation. She walked up to me, and she couldn't even look at me. She just stood shoulder to shoulder with me. She said, Rhonda, I need you to go to seminary. And I looked at her. I said, yes, all right. I said, tell me more. She said, I need you to go to seminary. She said, my daughter has no role models for women. Hmm. And this was years ago, okay? Put yourself way back in the horse and buggy days. Um, and we need some women to go. She said, if you will go, I will come every Monday night. And I will take care of your children. And I will feed them and bathe them and read them their story. Put them to bed. And then I will clean your house up for you so you can study Tuesday and Wednesday because I really need you to go to seminary. I preached her funeral before I got out of seminary. And I can tell you that it was when I got to Greek, and I didn't think I could be finished, that it was Lorette's voice. It wasn't God, Lorette saying, I need you to go to seminary, that allowed me to stay there and finish. Um, that's deep friendship. That's, that's love. That's, that's the love of the Spirit discerning what God's doing in the world and then loving somebody. That day. She didn't benefit at all from it. But I, I'm really concerned about um, how much we're in each other's homes, how much we're discerning each other. I mean, when as I read in the New Testament, when they really figured out who Jesus was, and again, I think that's love, but when they really, they cognitively, you know, when they on, on the walk to Emmaus, you know, they, they figured out maybe a little bit of, this is somebody we want to talk to, but it was around the table. They figured out who Jesus really was. Their eyes were opened. And, uh, how much are we around the table together? Yeah. Instead of driving through McDonald's. <laughs> Chick fil A. Chick fil A, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. Right. Not, not was, today, it, though. It was a yeah. Sunday. Yeah. It was a Sunday. Yeah. 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 Gotta wait till yeah, Monday for that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Come on. Um, yeah, instead of taking people home for lunch, how are right. Yeah, I just think of conversations I've had with my grandparents and being like, hey, who, who were your neighbors growing up? Mm -hmm. What did they do? What, what did their kids do? What, where were they from? And I mean, they can list everyone, you know, because they, they lived in community. And now I'll ask my friends the same thing and they're like, oh, no, I don't know any of my neighbors. And, you know, H Hannah and I, we try to be intentional about building relationships with our neighbors and um, but it's just society is so different. We're so much more individualized and atomized into our little yeah. our little family units, mm -hmm. and we don't have those. There, there's this um, book I can't think of the title off the top of my head. Maybe someone does, but it was about the decline of bowling leagues mm -hmm. and how the decline of bowling leagues <laughs> in the '60s and '70s are kind of a symptom of this like inward turn in society. And that people used to, you know, back in the day on mm -hmm. Tuesdays or Thursdays, you'd go to your bowling leagues and you did that for years and you built relationships with those people and you had consistent community. 
Um, you can look at the decline of churches or declines of unions and kind of these similar, just like slow breakdown. Um, can I say one thing about yeah. that too? And then I'm going to shut up because I want you to think about <laughs> At my brother's funeral, this is another brother. I my other, my only other brother. Um, and as a teacher of kids, I have often said to parents, the reason your kid's not organized in his schoolwork is because you don't, you don't give him anything to organize. I mean, he doesn't. It used to be that you went out on Tuesdays, and instead of going to bowling leagues, you went out in the middle of the street and you figured out you're going to be the captain today and you're going to pitch, mm -hmm. and, and you had to figure all this. Out. Well, again, this is all relationship, and and they told at my youngest brother's funeral, they said. He was always the last one chosen on the team. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, of my brother was always the last one chosen because I wasn't, you know. <laughs> and, um, and yet, Roger didn't care. <laughs> he was just part of the team. Mm -hmm. and, and we've lost that sense in our culture, you know, of... He was part of the team. He was playing with the neighborhood kids. And and Gary got up and at his funeral said, yeah, he was always the last one chosen, but he was part of us. <laughs> and um, it, it's just kind of interesting how we have moved. And I think we've moved from Adams, mm -hmm. which I know we can't see Adams either, but Adams make up stuff and we see stuff, to bits. Yeah. You know, and what do bits produce? <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the past... Two and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Something Rhonda said, I mean, drove home a thought that I've had to go through my mind um, on occasion throughout the years, but it's become more pronounced that I am used to and all that I know is being in church, being a part of a church family, having good friends who are kind and don't, their motivation is not to use me or take advantage of me, you know. Um, surrounded by good friends, family, brothers, parents, who I know have my best interests at heart. And I, I don't know anything different. And if we're not careful, we can project that onto everyone else. But what you shared about the number of close friendships, relationships, is tells us a lot. Yeah. Because you're right, that's the average. So there's got to be a lot of people that are underneath 1.8 close relationships. And it's helpful to remember that and just how we interact and I'm saying this to myself, I need to remind myself every day, you don't ever know what someone's past is, what their story is, or what they're dealing with right now when you interact with them. And it's more important than ever to show love because there may be no one else in that person's life. And especially at the moment when somebody doesn't deserve love, mm -hmm. it can be really life-changing if they don't have that in their life already to really step in and... Um, go counter to what everything in their experience tells them a reaction to something should be or your mm -hmm. treating of them should be. So we can't underestimate what one simple act of undeserved love could mean to someone in the absence of meaningful relationships in love of their own life. For sure. So yeah, thank you for that mm -hmm. perspective. So then we just think about parents into a senior care living from a town of where they live, where my father grew up, and then, so for 50 plus years, and then all of a sudden they're in a different town. And I was talking to my brothers yesterday, and they are struggling to make friends. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because 
they've been part of a church community where they inherently always have people coming in and they were the people who they were friends to. Now they're on the opposite side and it's a muscle memory. Like it's, it, you don't know how to make friends. And especially when you've been taught your entire life of make friends in church. And then they're going to a smaller church and they're, and they're not really comfortable with each other, you know. And so even though they're surrounded by people of their, their own age, they're surrounded with things to do, they don't know how to be friends. And I, and I think that it's, this conversation and something that Rhonda said at the beginning of about how this is cultivating, like this is the, the fruit of the Spirit is cultivating. It's not something that one and done. It's something that's ongoing and ongoing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think with love, it's, it is inherent in all of us, but you still have to rise it to the surface. Like it's just not something that you're immediately going to to realize in that moment of yes, I love you. It's oh, it's that is that aha moment around the table of I love this person or I don't agree with everything you're saying, but man, do I love you. You know, it's those aha moments that's that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So we got a couple minutes left, so we'll skip down to the last question. Um, so you know, in the Gospels, Christ talks about you will know them by their fruit, right? And George Goldman last week, he said, um, you know, we're told not to judge, but you can be a fruit inspector, (laughs) which is a good way of saying it. And so, you know, what do you think are some of the ways that we as Christians, as the church, um, aren't the best fruit inspectors when it comes to love? What are we misunderstanding about love? What are there ways that we think we're showing love, but they really aren't loving? Like, you know, what... What misconceptions about love do you would you want to clear up? I would say you only do it when you feel like it. Because mm-hmm. there's plenty of times you don't. But I do think it goes back to that Galatians verse. It says we keep in step with the Spirit. We're walking with the Spirit. It's a lifestyle of listening. And you feel that prompting to love somebody and often when that's pulling you toward righteousness but you can feel the struggle in your flesh then you know it's from the spirit because your flesh (laughs) is going no way no how so I think there's a misconception that I have to be kind of emotionally into it when Mm -hmm. sometimes it's your brain drags your guts that's not in the bible but that's (laughs) it should be how does that compare to fake it till you feel it uh, probably the same idea, yeah. Probably sounds a little better than brain drives your guts, but... No, no, I think yours sounded better. It doesn't sound as cliche. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, you know, our culture now kind of tells us to, um, you know, kind of not rock the boat, make your own truth for yourself, and, which is, by the way, a really bad idea. I've tried it in some forms of fashion, and it doesn't work so well, but... Yeah, I think it seems like we have a harder time than past generations in speaking the truth in love. Um, We may speak truth. There's a lot of speaking truth, but a lot of it's not done in love. um, But I was thinking about um, the hard hard truths that have been spoken in my life. One of them was my older brother. Um, When I was 25, um, he and I lived in an apartment together. And I was in a pretty lousy mood one night, just grumbling about something. This would be my older brother. We were like best friends. And um, he said, you are so negative. Do you realize how negative you are? Do you? 
I mean, he just had enough. And I just paused and I was like, it just hit me like, he's right. It is. He said, he said, it's not just that, but your friends, they love you, they have so much love and respect for you, but it's gotten to where they almost don't want to be around you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that hurt. I was embarrassed because I'm like, well, obviously something's been said between mm-hmm. people. It's, boy, you know, you feel about that tall. And my first response was to react. I mean, I, I didn't react in anger, but it was painful. But then I took a step back and I knew, I knew he was telling me the truth. Um, and um, it was a turning point because I started to work on that a lot. And I was talking to my younger brother the other day, and he said, you know, the change in you from, you know, 20 years ago was remarkable in that, in that area. And I don't think I would have ever stopped and worked hard on changing that if not for my brother hitting me right between the eyes. And I still have moments where I revert to that. I suspect it's part of my natural inclination, <laughs> talking about flesh versus spirit. Um, another friend told me a couple of years ago, he's very blunt but very loving, he said, I, I've always been bad at being on time for things. And he pulled me aside and he said, just so you know, um, when we get together, we give you a different time than we give everybody else. <laughs> it's earlier. <laughs> and again, I was like, I think he's Well, I mean, I was like, I felt like, again, like kind of embarrassed. And then I went, he's right. How many times have people waited on me? And like, I know I'm not perfect, but ever since then, I've become way better at it. But, um, and by the way, when I went through a really difficult situation about three months ago, that guy was an incredible, loving, helping friend to me. Um, So anyway, those are a couple of examples of just somebody in a loving way hitting you right between the eye with something, and then you go... Well, if I don't respond to this in anger, maybe I respond in some sort of cultivating a new version of me. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, and it requires, that's a long answer, but... No, <coughs> and it requires those relationships, yes. right? If we don't have those relationships, we don't have anyone who can lovingly tell the truth to us yeah. when we need to hear it. Yeah. I heard one time there's a balance because truth without love is harsh. Mm-hmm. But love without truth is compromise. You, you yeah. can't just love people without being truthful. So there's a real tension. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but yeah. it's a whole lot harder when you don't have that spoken in your life. Mm-hmm. And people just let you keep on hurting yourself and other mm-hmm. people for their own flaws that maybe you're not completely aware of because you're used to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So. But like what Rhonda was saying about the absence of deep, meaningful relationships in my youth said there's a lot of truth being spoken, but nobody can hear it because it doesn't sound like it's done in love. So it's like, I can't believe what you're saying because we're not, you know, we don't know one another well enough to love each other. That's what it feels like. Everybody's saying the thing that they see. This is the true thing about what I'm saying. And you're going, that's not true because that's not what I see. And we don't because we're not in deep, we're not in enough relationship with each other. We don't trust, we don't love one another enough to trust that you're telling the truth and that I'm telling the truth. And so it's just like all constant talking past each other. I was in high school and I had an advanced grammar teacher. Her name was Mrs. Ureed, I'll never forget it. She said one day in class, she said, you control how much people will love you. 
and she says it's how much you give of yourself to them to love mm. is how much they will love you. And I, you know, I was in a very secular school in Southern California. I mean, it was not a Christian school, um, but I really think she had something in there because I think I, I, I really thought quite a bit about how would I define love. I've got to know what I'm talking about (laughs) and and my best definition that I think I've come up with is that love is giving yourself for the good of another Um, I think that's the essence of what happened on the cross Um, and and that doesn't always mean that it's cushy and positive and fun I mean that's not a final love I mean there are times where that's tough love and that's hard love and that's what your brother was doing um, but but the perspective is different. It's not about whether or not I feel like you know me. It, it's whether or not do I know her well enough, and what can I do to communicate love in her? And that might be calling a spade a spade. Mm-hmm. But but it's got the other person in mind instead yeah. of me. That's that's my only fear with millennials. You know, <laughs> is is whether or not. Um, and it's really interesting. I read just this week that millennials are moving away from. Uh, they're becoming much more pro-life because they're seeing pictures. They're seeing love in action. And. Um, that's a whole nother discussion we're not trying to get into that. But, um, but I think there's something about the perspective of one looking at the other first and saying, what is here she need? And how do I communicate it so she gets that instead of having her understand where I'm coming from? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot true to what Mrs. You said, Eureta? Eureta said in that if you truly know someone, like know them, you can't help but love them. Like once you hear someone's story, where they've been, what they've experienced, why they are the way they are, love is almost just natural. And, you know, I feel like we keep coming back to these relationships that if you don't have those relationships where you can be known, you know, authentically, genuinely, transparently, and know others in that same way, then it's so hard to experience love and to show love without that kind of, those relationships. But ultimately, it goes always back to the love. This fruit has to have seed in it. And that Mm -hmm. is, I look at you and what you need, but what you need is to feel the deep love of the Father. And you need to believe that Jesus died for you and you're forgiven. And there's a way to walk in abundant life right now. And you don't walk around preaching sermons to the lady at Kroger but, but looking and loving someone, you want that seed in there and you're praying all the while, how do I present this in a way that it can be received? Mm-hmm. That's kingdom work. And I think that's what we're all saying is, yeah. you know, kingdom work takes this to a whole different motivation and level. And uh, the way you look at people, they're all in the image of God. Every single one, even the hateful one or the mm-hmm. one that is hard to get along with. Or, and just please let us see that. That's what we're... That's what love is. We see it yeah. like Jesus sees it. You know, we treat 
translated. And I, and I think gathering around a table is not just for the socialization. It is so that you do know that person well enough that when they hit a high moment, you're there. You've put a deposit in the bank to the point that you, you can be there for them. And they do have someone to call. Well, thank you all so much. You're welcome. Um, I know this conversation was very edifying for me. Um, we'll have it up on the website if you want to share it with your friends. <laughs> um, and next week we have Joy with Janet Crothers, Nan Smith, and Kim Tolliver. They don't know anything about Joy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten a load on my phone.